Long History A Journal of the First Voyage of Vasco da Gama Part 11 Some Evil Design in India Hello and welcome to Long History. This is where we take source documents from history and serialise them so you can listen to the words of people who took part in events themselves. We've covered many famous explorers, so feel free to explore Long History's back catalogue of podcasts. But here we're looking at Vasco da Gama's world-changing first voyage. This is the one where he rounded the southern tip of Africa and made his way to India and opened up a new route for Europeans to India and beyond. And we're on to episode 11 of a 15-part series, so now's the time to subscribe. And as we finish the last episode, the first stage of Vasco da Gama's route was complete. He'd reached India and in the previous episode had a meeting with the king. It seemed to go well. And as we left Vasco da Gama, he was lodging in a rest house in a town called Pandarani and expecting to return to his ship soon. In this episode, things quickly seem to turn sour. So this is a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 11, some evil design in India. Detention at Pandarani, May the 31st to June the 2nd. The bale and many others were with the captain. On our arrival, the captain asked the bale for an almadilla, so that we might go to our ships. But the bale and the others said that it was already late. In fact, the sun had set, and that he should go next day. The captain said that unless he provided an almadilla, he would return to the king, who had given orders to take him back to the ships, whilst they tried to detain him a very bad thing, as he was a Christian like themselves. When they saw the dark looks of the captain, they said he was at liberty to depart at once, and that they would give him thirty almadillas if he needed them. They then took us along the beach, and as it seemed to the captain that they harboured some evil design, he sent three men in advance, with orders that in case they found the ship's boats and his brother, to tell him to conceal himself. They went, and finding nothing, turned back. But as we had been taken in another direction, we did not meet. They then took us to the house of a moor, where it was already far in the night, and when we got there, they told us that they would go in search of the three men who had not yet returned. When they were gone, the captain ordered fowls and rice to be purchased, and we ate, notwithstanding our fatigue having been all day on our legs. Those who had gone only returned in the morning, and the captain said that after all they seemed well disposed towards us, and had acted with the best intentions when they objected to our departure the day before. On the other hand, we suspected them on account of what had happened at Calicut, and looked upon them as ill-disposed. When they returned, the captain again asked for boats to take him to his ships. They then began to whisper among themselves, and said that we should have them if we would order our vessels to come nearer the shore. The captain said that if he ordered his vessels to approach, his brother would think that he was being held a prisoner, and that he gave this order on compulsion, and would hoist the sails and return to Portugal. They said that if we refused to order the ships to come nearer, we should not be permitted to embark. The captain said that King Samolin had sent him back to his ships, and 
that as they would not let him go, as ordered by the king, he should return to the king, who was a Christian like himself. If the king would not let him go and wanted him to remain in his country, he would do so with much pleasure. They agreed that he should be permitted to go, but afforded him no opportunity for doing so, for they immediately closed all the doors and many armed men entered to guard us, none of us being allowed to go outside without being accompanied by several of these guards. They then asked us to give up our sails and rudders. The captain declared that he would give up none of these things, King Samolin having unconditionally ordered him to return to his ships. They might do with him whatever they liked, but he would give up nothing. The captain and we others felt very downhearted, though outwardly we pretended not to notice what they did. The captain said that as they refused him permission to go back, they would at least allow his men to do so, as at the place they were in they would die of hunger. But they said that we must remain where we were, and that if we died of hunger we must bear it, as they cared nothing for that. Whilst thus detained, one of the men whom we had missed the night before turned up. He told the captain that Nicolau Coelho had been awaiting him with the boat since last night. When the captain heard this, he sent a man away secretly to Nicolau Coelho because of the guards by whom we were surrounded, with orders to go back to the ships and place them in a secure place. Nicolau Coelho, on receipt of this message, departed forthwith. But our guards, having information of what was going on, at once launched a large number of Almadias and pursued him for a short distance. When they found that they could not overtake him, they returned to the captain, whom they asked to write a letter to his brother, requesting him to bring the ships nearer to the land and further within the port. The captain said that he was quite willing, but that his brother would not do this, and that even if he consented, those who were with him, not being willing to die, would not do so. But they asked how this could be, as they knew well that any order he gave would be obeyed. The captain did not wish the ships to come within the port, for it seemed to him, as it did to us, that once inside they could easily be captured, after which they would first kill him and then us others, as we were already in their power. We passed all that day most anxiously. At night more people surrounded us than ever before, and we were no longer allowed to walk in the compound within which we were, but confined within a small tiled court with a multitude of people around us. We quite expected that on the following day we should be separated, or that some harm would befall us, for we noticed that our jailers were much annoyed with us. This, however, did not prevent our making a good supper off the things found in the village. Throughout that night we were guarded by over a hundred men, all armed with swords, two-edged battle-axes, shields and bows and arrows. While some of these slept, others kept guard, each taking his turn of duty throughout the night. On the following day, Saturday, June the 2nd, in the morning, these gentlemen came back, and this time they wore better faces. 
they told the captain that as he had informed the king that he intended to land his merchandise, he should now give orders to have this done, as it was the custom of the country that every ship on its arrival should at once land the merchandise it brought, as also the crews, and that the vendors should not return on board until the whole of it had been sold. The captain consented, and said he would write to his brother to see to its being done. They said this was well, and that immediately after the arrival of the merchandise he would be permitted to return to his ship. The captain at once wrote to his brother to send him certain things, and he did so at once. On their receipt the captain was allowed to go on board, the two men remaining behind with the things that had been landed. At this we rejoiced greatly, and rendered thanks to God for having extricated us from the hands of people who had no more sense than beasts, for we knew well that once the captain was on board, those who had been landed would have nothing to fear. When the captain reached his ship, he ordered that no more merchandise should be sent. The Portuguese Merchandise at Pandarani, June the 2nd to the 23rd. Five days afterwards, the captain sent word to the king that although he had sent him straight back to his ships, certain of his people had detained him a night and a day on the road, that he had landed his merchandise as he had been ordered, but that the Moors only came to depreciate it, and that for these reasons he looked forward to what he, the king, would order, that he placed no value upon this merchandise, that he and his ships were at his service. The king at once sent word, saying that those who acted thus were bad Christians, and that he would punish them. He, at the same time, sent seven or eight merchants to inspect the merchandise, and to become purchasers if they felt inclined. He also sent a man of quality to remain with the factor already there, and authorised them to kill any more who might go there without fear of punishment. The merchants whom the king had sent remained about eight days, but instead of buying they depreciated the merchandise. The Moors no longer visited the house where the merchandise was, but they bore us no goodwill, and when one of us landed they spat on the ground saying, Portugal! Portugal! Indeed, from the very first they had sought means to take and kill us. When the captain found that the merchandise found no buyers in that place, he applied to the king for permission to forward it to Calicut. The king at once ordered the bail to get a sufficient number of men who were able to carry the whole on their backs to Calicut, this to be done at his expense, as nothing belonging to the king of Portugal was to be burthened with expenses whilst in his country. But all this was done because it was intended to do us some ill turn, for it had been reported to the king that we were thieves and went about to steal. Nevertheless, he did all this in the manner shown. It seems to have been an episode of misunderstandings and confusion. We do not really know why de Gama and his men were detained, it's not clear to see why all these suspicions arose, but one thing is reasonably clear, that no one is particularly impressed by the Portuguese products, 
or perhaps it's just a case of their all choosing not to be impressed. Through it all, they seem to have made an ally with the king, but who knows who is pulling which strings here. The atmosphere does not clear in the next episode. In fact, it gets worse. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Long History. If you've enjoyed it, please do give it a like and share it with any like-minded people. This was a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 11, some evil design in India. Goodbye.